You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. This evening we've come to John chapter 14, and we're going to read from verse 15. And if you're using the church Bible, the passage is on page 1082, 1082. If you love me, says Jesus to his disciples, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. It was a very famous book, very popular book for a number of reasons, emerged in the earlier part of the 16th century entitled The Table Talk of Martin Luther. Uh, professors of theology, which was what Luther's job was, were apparently not too well remunerated in the 16th century. So one of the things that Mrs. Luther did was take in boarders. She would take in students so that the students had the privilege of listening to the lectures of the master and then gathering round his rather substantial table and being able to talk to the master, ask the master questions. And Martin Luther, who had something of a vivid and loose tongue, uh, said so many dramatic things, some of them actually verging on the vulgar, that uh, some of those students, I guess, underneath the table would scribble down the little notes of what the great doctor had said. And eventually, these uh, little notes of Martin Luther's table talk became very, very popular indeed. Uh, Some of them are actually not fit, to be honest, to be read in public, 
but some of them are brilliant in their wisdom and their wit and their insight. I say that because this section that we are studying in Lord's Day evenings just now, we've sometimes referred to as the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse of Jesus. But it's not quite a discourse, is it? Uh, It would be rather rude to, even these days, to interrupt the master in the process of the discourse. That is, of course, unless you happen to be an American student when it's just the kind of thing you do because you're an American student. So this isn't so much uh, an extended discourse of Jesus as it is a record that John has here. Notice how here Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will bring to your memory everything that I've said to you. And this is the Apostle John many years later, uh, four decades to six decades later, reflecting on that marvelous night when they were able to sit round the table. It was a very special event for them and memorable, particularly because of the high emotion. And so even humanly speaking, it was perhaps not so difficult for John to remember Jesus' farewell table talk. And certainly with this promise of the Holy Spirit helping him and guiding him in these chapters from 13 through to Jesus' prayer that uh, is the whole of chapter 17. He records for us those few hours that they spent together sitting at the table with the Lord Jesus. And Jesus has been saying very stressful things to them. We've seen that the emotions in the room have probably changed and moved fairly rapidly from pleasure at being with the Lord Jesus for the Passover meal to pain when he says that one of them is going to betray him to a a deep-seated consternation when he actually speaks to Simon Peter and tells Simon Peter he's actually going to deny him. And the undercurrent of all this is that Jesus punctuates his table talk here with frequent references to the fact that he is just about to leave them. And he says very mysterious things about that. For example, here, as we just read, he says, uh, if you'd really known what was happening, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. But this is it's almost impossible for them to grasp. And it's sore for them to hear that the master of these three years, the one for whom they have given up everything, one of them left his job in the income tax department. Others of them left their family fishing business and so on. And now he's telling them he is going to leave them and giving them indications, signs that This is actually going to happen in a dramatic way this very night. So the question arises in a sense, and it's answered in this passage, what would Jesus most want to teach deeply distressed disciples? Think about that question just for a moment. Think yourself into a distressing situation and ask the question, What is the most important thing in all the world for people who are distressed to know? Because presumably this is what Jesus will be teaching his disciples. The answer to that question in Jesus' table talk is, I think, even to us as Christians, more than a little surprising. Because this is the place in all of the Gospels, where Jesus teaches his disciples most about the Trinity. Jesus' remedy for a distressed heart is the knowledge of God, the Trinity. And perhaps it's a a good uh, 
point of self-examination of our own thinking and our own Christian living to ask the question, would my Christian life really be very much different if I didn't know about the Trinity, if I didn't have some grasp of what we call the doctrine of the Trinity? Would it really make all that much difference to Monday and Tuesday that I didn't live in a consciousness that the God I've come to know is actually Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what I want to draw out this evening as briefly as I can from this passage tonight is just one strand of that that is particularly fresh for the disciples. They, I think rather like we, have very deep-seated, emotional, affectional responses to the thought that God would become our Heavenly Father. What a glorious and marvelous reality that is. Even those of us who have had difficult fathers or with whom we've had difficult relationships are, are able to recraft what we think true fatherhood is by seeing the way in which the heavenly Father has been father to his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and how Jesus in turn had brought these disciples into the fellowship of the Father. And no Christian can hear the name of the Son, the Lord Jesus, without having something of a, a powerful response. This is my Savior. This is the one who came to earth, who lived my life, who died my death, who rose for my salvation, who is in heaven interceding for me, who is promised that he will come again and take me to himself. But the person of the Trinity that Jesus most begins to focus attention on now in this passage is the person of the Holy Spirit. And what he says to his disciples, essentially, if I can put it in the vernacular, is, cheer up, I'm going to leave you, but the Holy Spirit is going to come in my place. Cheer up, let not your hearts be troubled, I'm leaving you, but the Holy Spirit is going to come in my place. I imagine if I were in the room, you were in the room, we would have something of the same response as these disciples. Duh. You think that's good news? That you are leaving us and you're going to send the Holy Spirit in your place? Perhaps I can contextualize that for us here at St. Peter's. Come in on Sunday morning. David Robertson is preaching. He's leading the service. We pray that he will teach and lead the service with the help of the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be present with us. But let me pose the question this way. Which would you rather have? David Robertson, with the help of the Holy Spirit, or the Lord Jesus at the lectern on a Sunday morning? I think for most of us, even for Annabelle, maybe especially for Annabelle, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? We would far rather have Jesus I mean, just imagine it. I'm mean, quite apart from the press value of it. Imagine it. Imagine it that we were, we were able to come into church and we had this amazing privilege of for the rest of our lives knowing what height the Lord Jesus was, what color his hair was, what his face looked like, his eyes, his gesticulations, the tone of his voice, the outpouring of his wisdom and grace, it would be utterly, utterly unforgettable. And these men had had this for three years. And Jesus is encouraging them. He's encouraging them by saying, I'm going from you. But when I go from you, I'm going to send 
the Holy Spirit to you. That's what he's referring to when he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And he keeps on from now on referring to the fact that when he goes, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And actually, he goes so far in chapter 16, think in verse 7, as to say, it is actually to your advantage that I'm going away, because if I don't go away, then I won't be able to send the Holy Spirit to you. So the question, and this is just one of the many questions Jesus is actually answering in this passage, is the question, how can it possibly be that Jesus leaving them and sending the Holy Spirit to them could possibly be to their advantage? The problem, of course, was this. They now knew who the Father was. He who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said in the previous passage. They knew who the Son was. They'd been with him for three years. But who was the Holy Spirit? And you notice Jesus says a very interesting thing in this passage. He says to them, you know him. Isn't this so interesting? You know him, verse 17, for he lives with you and he will be in you. You know him because he lives with you. What on earth does that mean? Well, it means this. You know him. You know the Father because he who has seen me has seen everything there is to know about the Father. And because the Holy Spirit has been on the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus right from the moment of his conception through this period in the upper room, they do know the Holy Spirit. I mean, they'd said to him, show us the Father and that will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, you know who the Father is. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And now they're saying, well, if you just tell us who the Holy Spirit is, then we might be satisfied with the thought that you are leaving us, but the Holy Spirit is going to come to us. And Jesus says, but you do know him because he's been with you. All the while you've watched me and listened to me, everything I've said, I've said in the power of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And some of them presumably may have been present when Jesus was baptized with the Spirit in the River Jordan. And they had seen the power of the Spirit in his life. And so he's saying, you need to think about the fact that everything I have said, everything I have done, I've done because of my relationship with the Father on the one hand, but yet, on the other hand, everything I have done and said, I've done in the power and grace and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about Jesus' life, you, you remember how it seems to be punctuated by the presence of the Spirit. In the womb of the Virgin Mary, he is conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he goes forwards for baptism, he is anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. When he is tempted in the wilderness, we are told in the gospel, he was actually driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. It was the power, the direction, the masterminding of the Holy Spirit that directed the whole of Jesus' ministry. When he did his miracles, he says that he does these things by the power of the Holy Spirit or by the finger of God. So all the way through, they, they really should have known the Father because Jesus was revealing the Father. And they should have known who the Holy Spirit is because they should have been able to learn his character, his ministry, his identity from what they had seen him do and the fruit they had seen him produce in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. But there's another way of coming at this. Um, you'll notice that what Jesus says here in verse 16 is, 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, we can use the word another, actually. The Greek language in which John's gospel is written can also use the word another in two different ways. Actually, Greek has two different words. And it's fairly clear that when John records Jesus as saying, I will send you another counselor, the word is paraclete, another advocate or counselor. What he means is not another who is completely different from me, but another who is like me. You buy a car, and you don't like your car. You go to the shop, however many years later, and you say, I, I didn't like this Skoda. I want a Rolls Royce. I want another car altogether. Or you may go, for that matter, and say, I really loved my Skoda. I want another Skoda. I want another of the same kind. And that's what he's saying here about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, the reason it's going to be to your advantage that I leave you and send the Holy Spirit to you is because when the Holy Spirit comes to you, it will actually be just like me coming to you myself in another way. Actually, if you think about that, he'd really said that about the Father, hadn't he? The Son is not the Father. But Jesus the Son says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father in another way, in a visible way, in, in the capacity of my human nature. You've seen all that God the Father is. And now he's saying to them, this is the reason you can rejoice that I'm going away and that the Spirit is going to come to you, because this means that I will actually be able to be with you in a different way in the person of the Holy Spirit forever. And not only so, but this is the big thing. I'll be able to be with you through the person of the Holy Spirit in such a way that through the Spirit I will come to dwell right in your heart and in your life and strengthen you, minister to you, and bless you, as it were, from within. So Jesus isn't confusing himself with the Father when he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's not confusing himself with the Holy Spirit when he says, I'm going to send another who will be to you everything that my ministry has thus far been to you. Let me, let me underscore that by using three illustrations that Jesus uses. The first is this. Jesus has been their teacher. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit is going to come and be another teacher like Jesus. Earlier on in chapter 13, Jesus had said, you call me teacher, and that is what I am. So they had looked to Jesus to be the person who opened their eyes, who filled their minds with new, fresh, clear, gracious thoughts about God, who gave them insight into their lives, who helped them to understand the Scriptures. Now, says Jesus, and you'll notice that he does this in verse 26, doesn't he? He says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So Jesus has been their teacher, but when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will also be their teacher. Now, what does he teach? Well, this is so interesting. What they most fear is that they're going to know Jesus less, isn't it? He's going to go away from them, 
He's been near to them. When he goes away from them, they'll know him less. They'll, they'll feel a distance from him. But what Jesus actually says is, in that day when I go to my Father and send the Holy Spirit to you, he says, the Holy Spirit will teach you that, and here are his words. I mean, they're almost impossible to take in. The Holy Spirit will teach you that I am in my Father, that my Father is in me, and that I am in you, and you are in me. Much of what follows is taken up explaining that to us. But what does it mean? It means that the Father embraces his Son in a permanent and infinite love and devotion. It means that the Son embraces his Father in the same way. John had said at the beginning of the gospel, the, the only Son who dwells in the bosom of the Father, the Word who was face to face with God in, in deep and unblemished devotion. And Jesus is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, it will be as though your eyes will be opened to who I really am and to the depth of the Father's love for me and the depth of my love for my Father, and you will come to know me, and you will come to say, as John actually later on in his first letter says, this is absolutely staggering. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are nobodies, but we have been brought to the knowledge of God, and we've been brought into this fellowship with our heavenly Father and His Son, our Savior. To be a Christian, it's an enormous reality. And this is what the Holy Spirit is going to teach them, He's saying. And not only so, but the Holy Spirit is going to teach them that they have a special relationship with the Lord Jesus. That just as the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, that they, they are bound together in one community of love and mutual and unclouded devotion. So he's saying the same. There's going to be a parallel in your relationship to me. Of course, he goes on to explain that, doesn't he, in chapter 15, the vine and the branches. I'm, my life is going to be in you, and, and your life is going to be in me. They didn't understand any of that. And they wouldn't understand any of that until after Jesus had risen and the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. And then it began to dawn on them. And actually, amazingly, it's, it's all over the New Testament from the beginning of Romans to the end of the book of Revelation that we have this amazing privilege in which the Holy Spirit teaches us more and more about this priceless relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus and through the Lord Jesus with the Father in the power and the bond and the affection and unity of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's almost as though Jesus is saying, I've got to say something about this to you. I haven't said anything about this to you because there's no way you could have taken it in. But you see, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to come and dwell within your hearts right into your life. And he'll help you, as it were, from within to grasp this. I suppose most of us in some form or another have tried to teach somebody something. Some of us may have been professionally teachers or we're Sunday school teachers. And, uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever taught for a living, then the worst part of teaching you know is doing the grading. And when you do the grading, you, you maybe grade one of the children or, or one of the students' papers. And you think, how could he possibly have sat in the classroom all these hours and not got it? 
and you say to yourself, I wish I could get inside him and get it all sorted out from inside. And then perhaps if I could get inside his mind and the way he thinks and what really interests him or her, if I could sort it out from within, then they'd get it, then they'd see it. And see the marvelous thing Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit is, that's exactly what he does. He comes and he dwells in our hearts and he opens the eyes of our understanding so that what is plainly taught here in the Scriptures, let's say, that's like words in a book that we're too short-sighted to be able to read. He works in our hearts, and suddenly it seems as though the Bible begins to make sense. I have a, a, a good friend of many years who, who told me once they had somebody joining their church, and the young man came before him and the elders in the church for a little interview, a friendly interview, and uh, he was rather a, a bold young man. And they said, well, you know, why do you want to become a member of the church? The truth was he'd been converted. That was why. He came. well, is there something about this church that has changed since I came here? When I first came here, the sermons were so long. The texts, they were so obscure. The hymns you sang, they were so dull. The people were so strange. But something has happened to this church since I started coming here. The, your sermons, he said to the minister, my friend, your sermons, are, they're, they're, they're dramatically different. And the hymns, we're singing the good hymns now. And the people seem so friendly. Well, of course, the church was still the same old church. Sermons weren't the same old sermons, but it was the same old preacher. Something had happened within. That's what was the key. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. And he'd experienced it, even although he didn't yet grasp it. And Jesus is saying when the Holy Spirit comes, I've been your teacher, and I'm going to send him right into your heart so that when you read the Scriptures, when you study the Scriptures, you'll be like the pair on the Emmaus Road, and you'll say, why is my heart burning within me? The Scriptures are being opened to me. Well, there's a second thing here. Jesus was their teacher, and the Spirit would be their teacher. The second thing was Jesus had also been their counselor, and the Spirit was going to come as their Counselor. That's the word that's used, isn't it, in the New International Version? Different words and different translations. Advocate, paraclete, helper. But the New International Version really gets it best of all, I think. It says Jesus in verse 16 I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Of course, Jesus had been their counselor. Anything goes wrong, go to Jesus. Here, all the way through this passage, they've been saying, Jesus, help us here. That's what a counselor is, isn't it? It's somebody to whom you go to get counsel. But what do you do when your counselor leaves you? And you've developed such a dependence on your counselor. That's what they're fearing. Where are we going to turn now? Look at us. You've just, you've just dismissed one of us from the room. We don't know what he's doing, but one of us is going to betray you. You've said to Peter, our mouthpiece, you're going to deny me. You're saying you're going to leave us. How can you possibly do this? Where are we going to turn for counsel? And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to help you. And he's going to help you from within. Now, the word counselor means different things to different people. In this context, it actually has a, a legal undertone. Um, in the United States, for example, uh, people who are lawyers will be described as counsel. They give legal counsel. And that's actually the context here of 
the way Jesus uses this word, because as I think we may have seen before, all the way through John's gospel, Jesus has been on trial. And there have been witnesses for the prosecution have come forward all the way through the gospel to deny what he says, to deny his claims. And John has pointed us to the witnesses who have been brought for the defense of Jesus. People like the woman at the well, people at the man, like the man born blind. All I know is once I was blind, now I can see. He must be the Messiah. And what Jesus is saying here is, when I send the Holy Spirit to you, the particular way in which he will be your counselor is by the way he comes to defend me and my cause and my desires in your life. That's when you're in a situation where you're very tempted not to speak, when you're tempted to go astray, and there is this urge upon your life that you would rather suffer than sin. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, saying, yes, give your life to Jesus. He's defending the cause, establishing the cause of Jesus in your life. Now, why is that so wonderful? It's wonderful for this reason. If you need legal counsel in Dundee, then you go down to city center, you find one of these offices with the brass plaques and the three names. You go inside, and you know unless you're going to be able to get legal aid, it's going to cost you a fortune. Not so in Jesus' day. If you found yourself in trouble in Jesus' day, you didn't go down to the uh, law office of Benjamin and Israel, and uh, Naphtali. You went to your closest and longest standing friend, and you said, will you come with me and defend my name in court? And the reason for that? Well, obviously, the person who has known you longest and most intimately is the one who's going to be able to give the best possible, the most accurate testimony to you. And so you would say, please come. Please, you've known me all my life. Please come and bear witness. Be my witness in court. Now, a little later on, Jesus will say to the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. You're my best friends. You're the ones who know me most intimately. You're the ones who can speak with greatest authority. And then he adds, and the Holy Spirit will be my witness bearer. Why? Because he's actually the one who really knows Jesus best. He's the one who's been with Jesus right from the very beginning. Yes, he's been with him as the Son of God from all eternity. But right there from the moment of his conception, right up to this moment, and then beyond, the Holy Spirit has been present in the life and ministry of Jesus. He has been nearer to Jesus than any human being. He has been near enough to Jesus to hear his every heartbeat, to read his every thought, to walk with him his every step, to feel his every emotion. And Jesus is saying, this is the reason why it's going to be to your advantage that I go away from you. Because if I go away from you, the Holy Spirit, who has been my counsel all the years of my life and ministry, he's actually going to come and he's going to indwell your life. And he's never going to leave. He's going to be with you forever. And the reason it's so important you receive him is because I'm actually giving you, if I can put it colloquially, I'm giving you my best friend. I'm leaving you, the one who has been with me for 33 years, who knows everything about me. So don't fear, don't fear that my departure from you is going to leave you bereft. 
And you notice how he puts it, and this brings us to the third thing. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to come to you. You feel as though you're going to be fatherless, motherless children. But when I send the Holy Spirit to you, and here's the third thing, I'll send him not only as the teacher who will teach you more about me than you already know, and the counselor who will plead my cause in your heart. I'm going to send him to you as the divine homemaker who will make your life a home for the Father and for the Son. Now, it's interesting, right at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has said to them, I'm actually, I'm a homemaker myself. The reason I'm leaving you is because I'm a homemaker. I'm going to my Father's house and I'm going to get places ready for you. He's, he's going to be, as it were, like a, like a mother who says, I'm, I'm going to go home early, immediately the service ends, because we're having guests, and we just need to get things ready. And these disciples are going to be Jesus' guests in heaven. And he says, I'm going, I'm going before you. It won't be all that long, but I'm going before you, and I'm going to get I'm just going to get things ready for you. But he says, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Now look at what the Holy Spirit does. He says, when I send the Holy Spirit to you, that means that I'm going to come back to you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But he says, verse 23, my Father will love you and we will come to you and make our home with you. Now, my friends, that's the whole of the Christian life. If you remember only one thing from this message tonight, this is the thing to take away. This is the cash value of knowing the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your heart, He comes to make your life a place where the Father and the Son would be willing to come and to feel completely at home. That's actually why there are trials in the Christian life. You don't think that we are like that by nature, surely. That's why there are times of deconstruction in the Christian life, as well as reconstruction in the Christian life, because we are not by nature places where the Father and the Son, if I can put it this way, could just stretch out and relax and say, we're absolutely at home here. There are no secrets here. There are no closed doors here. This is a heart that has welcomed us and said, Lord, make my life your home and be at home here. There's something I love about that notion that Jesus has gone to be the homemaker and when the Spirit comes, it will be the Father and the Son coming to make their home with us. Um, and that's because there is a parallel, isn't there, in our society between the homemaker and the Holy Spirit. If you're a woman who does nothing apart from look after the family at home, you know there will be superior people who will say to you, and what do you do, Mrs. Snodgrass? And Mrs. Snodgrass feels intimidated by this superwoman, and she says, I'm, I'm a homemaker. Oh, you're just a, you don't do anything outside the home. You're just a homemaker. Well, isn't it interesting that the Lord Jesus says, the world doesn't know the Holy Spirit. Just like that. Holy Spirit? Who cares a rap about the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is this stuff and nonsense, this spooky stuff about the Holy Spirit? Just like the despised homemaker. So just as the homemaker is unrecognized in our world, so the Holy Spirit is unrecognized in our world. But there's something else about the Holy Spirit as the homemaker, isn't there? The homemaker is the one who has 
the most vital role to play in the home. That's why they're called the home maker. Fathers tend to be the home providers. They don't tend to be, in an orderly family, the home maker. And the Holy Spirit is the home maker whose vital activity it is to turn our lives into a place where supremely the Father and the Son feel at home. Isn't that a staggering thought? That the God of the universe wants to feel at home in my life. And the Spirit is the one who is constantly active to transform me more and more so that uh, the Father and the Son will be able to smile at one another as they are eternally face to face with one another. They'll be able to smile and, and say, isn't it a great thing to dwell in John's heart, in Susan's life? And then, of course, there's another thing. Uh, if my experience is anything to go by, I need to be careful what I say with both my wife and my daughter in the congregation this evening. But uh, if my observation is anything to go by, the person who is most adored in a family, father may be revered, and uh, the children may love him, but there is a devotion to a homemaker that is quite unique. And only those who are in the family know anything about it. And here is Jesus with his little family, and he's, he's saying, to the, the world doesn't know anything about this. But you're beginning to know something about this. And although what grips you tonight is I'm going to leave you, you're going to find that your heart is going to be full of devotion, not only to my Father and to myself, but to the Holy Spirit. And you're going to learn to pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And just as we close, you'll notice that Jesus indicates to us that this is not something mechanical. Indeed, this so beautifully ties in with the message this morning. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And earlier in verse 15, if you love me, then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. How does it work? It works because he works by his Spirit within us to prompt love for him. And that love, because this is a relationship, that love draws forth from the heart of the Father and the Son such an affection for us that they more and more fill our hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit because they're able to say, we're welcome in that heart. And when they are welcome in that heart, then there is no end to this glorious cycle of having the Holy Spirit poured out upon us to fill us with love for the Father and love for the Son and to walk in love with the Holy Spirit and to say, my, isn't this amazing? This is one of the great things about belonging to the church family. Our fellowship through the Spirit is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says, dear Christian friends, Ephesians 5, 23, I think, isn't it? Whatever you do, don't grieve the Holy Spirit through whom you were sealed for the day of redemption because it's through the Holy Spirit that the Father and the Son will come to dwell in your life. You know, when I'm stuck 
over the years, I've often been stuck as to how to land the plane at the end of a sermon. I've said the same thing. I've probably said it at the end of a hundred sermons. And it's this. Isn't it the greatest thing in all the world to be a Christian? Well, isn't it? Are you a Christian like that? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not only sent your Son, our Lord Jesus, to be our Savior, but you have sent the Holy Spirit to us to be our teacher and our counselor and the one who makes our hearts and lives a homely place in which you dwell. Help us to know this more and more, to rejoice in the new identity you've given to us as your children and to love you all the more and to love others who do not know this, that they may be brought into the riches of such a great and gracious Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.